for that. It's just a reality. Prayer can be hard. But I want to say this. Did you know that Foundation Church actually has a prayer team? I don't know if everybody knows that. Did you know that? Did you know that we have people who can't attend our gatherings because they live too far away? Like geographically, it would never make sense for them to drive four hours to come to church, but they participate in the life and rhythms of Foundation Church because they're on the prayer team. Isn't that amazing? We have more than one household who do, do not have the ability to attend here, but they're so vested in this church that they've decided to be on the prayer team. And I want to say this. If you want to be on the prayer team, we would love to have you. You can actually just note that on your Connect card, and you can drop it in the black box on the way out, and we'll follow up with you. But prayer is so important that we cannot afford to not be a praying church. Tyler Statton's a pastor in Portland. He pastors um, a church there called Bridgetown, and he wrote a book called Pray Like Monks, Live Like Fools. And he captures the importance this way. I think it's really fantastic. He said, if the church really knew how powerful prayer is, we would be hard-pressed to get them to do anything but pray. If we really knew how powerful the gift and rhythm of prayer is, we would be hard-pressed to get Christians to do anything but pray. It would just be like, can we pray? Can we pray? We can pray. No, let's go to the baseball game. No, we're just going to pray, right? And so that's the goal. We must be a church that believes in prayer. The whole point of this series is not to get us to know about prayer, but to believe in prayer. So because of that, let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's take a moment and pray really quick before we get into this. So God, we come to you and we thank you for the gift of prayer, for the command of prayer, for this prayer that Jesus prayed thousands of years ago that has shaped the spiritual rhythms and practices of people, of the church, worldwide. So today, as we wrap it up, God, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would be in our lives, that you would be in our hearts and our minds as we consider the weight of what Jesus said and the implications going forward in that as we vision towards the next 10 years, as we look towards what is coming, God, that you would help us understand how we can be so instrumental in bringing the grace and love of Jesus Christ into this community that we would be so important that it would be impossible for us to be gone. Not because of our good, goodness or our good works, but because of your glory and what you're doing through us. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we finally arrived at the final two lines of the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to read this prayer to you. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13 says this. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So a few weeks ago, if you were here, Kyle did a wonderful job covering the topic of confession. And confession is such a vital part of the Christian faith. It is such a gift. And he had this great line that I've reiterated a couple times now since then, and I want to share it again. He said this. He said, the easiest way for the enemy to keep us in sin is to keep us in shame. Shame is not God's design. 
Living under the burden of shame is not part of the full life that Jesus promises in John 10.10. So when Jesus prays, forgive us our debts, he is teaching the disciples and us to pray for forgiveness so that we might be free from holding on to the shame that we so often feel as the result of our sin. Jesus is praying. He's saying, pray this way for your good. Pray that there would not, that you would be forgiven so that there's not this burden in your life that's resulting in shame. But there's also a second part to that sentence, isn't there? As we read on, it says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, in a minute, I'm going to come back to the topic of forgiveness because that's actually how Jesus finishes out this whole teaching on prayer. And I think we need to do some work around forgiveness. But for now, I just want you to know this, that forgiveness is very much, as we see in this passage, a two-way street. We need forgiveness and we need to extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us as well. So we'll come back to that in a few moments. But let's go to the next line. The next line in the prayer is the final line as it's recorded in most Bible versions. Some of you might remember a version of the prayer where it ends like this. Tell me if this sounds familiar. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Or some iteration of that, right? Does this sound familiar to anybody? Right. Okay. Well, I just want to make a note on that. That last line is a debated section of scripture, specifically around two things, when it was added and if it was part of the original manuscripts. There's definitely, it's definitely in some of them. It wasn't like they just randomly added it, but there's definitely debate around it. And so you see some versions have omitted that. So if you've been reading the Lord's Prayer through this whole series, like I've been doing, you've been reading it every day, praying through it every day over the last six weeks, and you were thinking to yourself, am I crazy or is there something missing here? You might be crazy, but not because of that. Okay, I just want to say that. You might be crazy, but it's not because of that. It all depends on the version you read. And for our sake today, we are reading the NIV. And so we're going to stick with as it's recorded in the NIV. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus teaches us to pray that. He teaches us to pray, do not let us be delivered into temptation. So let's talk a little bit about temptation. Does that sound good? You guys all up for some temptation talk? All right. The idea of temptation has a lot of uses in our language, right? When you see that new pair of shoes that you've been eyeing and it goes on sale, you're like, that's tempting, right? Or when you have that cookie, that chocolate chip cookie, and it's so good, and there's six more of them in front of you, you're like, I know I shouldn't, but it's so tempting, right? <laughs> or how about this? When you're trying to make a delicious dinner, and it just isn't going well at all, and you think to yourself, I'm so tempted to just scrap it and order out. Anybody ever been there? Right? These are temptations, no doubt, but they're not the type that we're trying to avoid <laughs> as Jesus prayed for in this prayer, for the most part. He's definitely not helping me go, Lord, I know that these new Air Max Ones drop on Friday, and they're only $200, but please don't lead me into the temptation to buy them. Please don't do that, right? That's not the prayer. Or, Lord, the weather looks so good, I should probably mow the lawn, but there's an abundance of tea times out there. 
So please stop anyone from inviting me to golf because I need to do this. Do not lead me into temptation. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. I think you get that. That seems pretty obvious. These rather are just matters of discipline, right? And you already know the answer to these problems, right? You already know them. Even if you decide to act in a way that is not congruent with the discipline you need, you know the answer. So rather, what Jesus is leading us to pray for are these temptations that have huge consequences and for the temptations that we're not sure whether or not they're a good or bad decision. Big consequence issues and not so sure issues. So let's talk about the big consequence ones first. We should and can pray for the strength to avoid falling into any temptation that the enemy wants to use to derail your life. You know what these are. We don't have to detail them. We're not going to do that today. The Holy Spirit will give you the conviction you need to know when these things are bad decisions. And scripture shows us that God will also give you a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this. It'll be on the screen. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It says, when you're tempted, that God is faithful to give you a way out. And he won't tempt you beyond what you can bear. He will give you a way out. That means when you're dealing with something that comes at you, that you're just like, oh, this is so hard, God will give you the strength to walk away from it. God will give you the way out, out of that temptation. Now, do we always walk away? Of course not. But the Bible is clear that we have been given everything we need to walk away from those obvious bad decisions with huge consequences. Okay? The Bible is clear on that. So anything that I do, maybe not for you, but anything that I do that falls into that category is on me, and I need to own that. But I'm going to give you the most simple example of this type of temptation to help you understand what this might look like. Have you ever had somebody in your life, maybe they're close to you, maybe they're just a good friend, and you've tried to warn them away from a particular decision? You've tried to say, ah, I just don't think. Like maybe it's a coworker, and you kind of warn them like, I don't think you should take that job. Eh, it looks tempting, but probably should just stay here. Or maybe you asked your spouse or told your spouse, I don't think you should buy that certain product. I just don't think it's right. Or maybe you told a friend not to go on a date with a particular person or hang out with a specific group of people. And despite all of those warnings, despite all of that, they did it anyways and it went poorly. What are you going to say to that person next time they bring up that issue? Told you so. It's exactly how it's written right here in my notes. It was like I knew it. And let me just remind you, that is not helpful. You are right, and that's not helpful. You know it's not helpful, and they definitely know it's not helpful, but the temptation was too great. You couldn't waste an opportunity to say, told you so, right? The told you so temptation is the perfect example of the type of temptation you can completely avoid, even if the temptation feels too great. 
Your way out of that temptation is to keep your mouth shut. You can write that down if you want. <laughs> Lord knows I need that reminder. But scripture tells us no temptation is too great, and God will always give you a way out. But what about the things that are tempting because they seem good, but you're not sure? They seem good, but you're just not sure. Recently, my Bible reading plan has been taking me through the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings. If you've been through it, you know this. And many of these sayings, many of these wisdom sayings remind the reader or warn the reader about the nature of Satan's deception. Proverbs 14, 12 will be on the screen. It says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. This is an incredibly important reminder that not everything we think is a good decision is actually a good decision. Not everything that appears to be right is right. Not everything that appears to be good is good. Not every temptation that, that you're like, ah, that's a good one. I should go after that. Not all of those are good. And that is why I believe this is at the heart of what Jesus is teaching us to pray about when he talks about temptation, because he is well aware of the sneaky and deceptive nature of Satan, right? A few weeks back, we talked about the deception story in the Garden of Eden. The serpent, super crafty, super sneaky, deceives Adam and Eve, and the consequences were massive, right? In the New Testament, we find an account of Jesus being tempted. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to cover verses 1 through 11. So if you're following along, you can read there. It says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now there's a lot to unpack here and we don't have time to get to all of it, but I think there's a few things we can key, on, uh, key in on when it comes to temptation, the idea of temptation. So the first one is this. If you notice it early on, temptation came to Jesus in a vulnerable moment. And the devil started by trying to tempt him with a felt need. The devil will use your momentary desires to create long-lasting damage. He is very tricky that way. Eating food was not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. Amen? But Jesus knew the assignment. And he was not going to trade a good thing for the right thing. 
It came to him in a vulnerable moment. It was a felt need. He was hungry. The devil tried to say, hey, turn these stones to bread. Jesus said, I'm not going to do it. The second thing we observe is that when the felt need did not work, the devil tried to tempt Jesus through ego. Going back to verse 6, he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus said to him, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. The devil tempted Jesus's ego. He says, if you're the son of God, questioning his identity, questioning his authority. It's so interesting because the devil actually quoted Psalm 91, that passage about the command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up. That's a very direct quote from Psalm 91. The devil is so sneaky, trying to use scripture to attack Jesus's ego. He's trying to derail Jesus from doing what he knows he needs to do. And he's trying to use his identity, his character, his nature, who he is. Have you ever started a thought with, I'm a hardworking mom, dot, dot, dot. I'm a hardworking dad. I'm a good son. I'm a good daughter. And then you use that statement, that true statement about you to justify a bad decision. It's trying to trick you. You are a hardworking dad, a hardworking mom, a good son, a good daughter, a good friend, a good coworker. Those are not reasons to trade the right thing for the immediate thing. And Satan is trying to tempt you through your ego. He's trying to get at you. He's trying to do it just as he did with Jesus. But that didn't work on Jesus. So then we go from the felt need to the ego to finally the devil tries to tempt Jesus with power. Recounting again in verse 8, again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. The promise of power, it's very tempting. The promise of power is very tempting. And you think about all the things that you desire and what you need to get those things. Money gives you buying power, right? Money's not evil. The love of money is, but money's not evil. It's a great tool. It gives you a lot of power to do good or bad. It gives you a lot of power. How about status? You gain the power of influence as you gain status or authority. It gives you the power of control. Right, parents? The devil is a master deceiver, and he's playing to all of your most powerful emotions and desires. And Jesus resists these temptations. And he does so coming out of a season of prayer and fasting. I thought that was a very interesting way to start that story. Even though Jesus was hungry, he was fueled by prayer and fasting, so those encounters did not work on him. I don't think that's in there as just a random idea or side note. 
think Jesus was trying, that the, the writer, the author of this gospel was trying to show us that yes, temptations will come, but there are ways out, just as we saw in 1 Corinthians 10. If there's a temptation in your life that seems too unbearable, I would encourage you, pray, fast, watch how God works in that. Watch how God uses that dedication to the most important rhythms of your life. Prayer, fasting, scripture, watch what he does in those moments to take you out of those temptations. But maybe the most interesting part of that passage is the very first line to me. Verse one says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? Even though it was the devil doing the tempting, it says that Jesus was led by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the, de into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted. That's a wild verse. You're telling me that God allowed Jesus to be tempted? Yes, that's what it's saying. And this is not the only account of God allowing his people to be tested and tempted. There are a number of examples. Maybe the most well-documented in Scripture, beyond the ones that Jesus encountered, is the story of Job. If you don't know the story of Job, I encourage you to go read it sometime this week and see the level of trial and test and temptation that people might go through. So why would God allow us to be tempted, to be tested? Thankfully, James chapter 1 gives us a really clear picture of what's happening when this is going on. So I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read a few different verses. We're going to read verses 2 through 4, and then we're going to read verse 12, and then we're going to read verses 13 and 14. So James 1, 2 verse 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jumping down to verse 12 says, blessed is anyone who perseveres under trial, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then finally, a very important thing to know around the idea of temptation, verses 13 and 14 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So the question is not if you will be tempted. Rather, how will you respond when you're tempted? Jesus knows this truth personally. It says that he was led into the, to the wilderness by the Spirit, but we know that it was the devil. We know from James that it was the devil who was doing the tempting. Jesus knows it so personally, so when he teaches the disciples to pray and ask them to take away the temptation, it's because he knows how hard it is. He can empathize with the difficulty. It's not like he's saying, suck it up. This is easy. You know the right answer. I can't imagine how hard it was to be 40 days fasted and be promised food. I can barely make 12 hours. Right? 
But when we are tempted, we know that we have a way out. And that first step, the first action you should take, Lord, I need to be taken out of temptation, that is prayer. That is prayer. You have to start with prayer. Prayer is the gift that God has given us to call out to him when we don't know what the answer is or even when we know what the answer is, but we don't know how we're going to survive the temptation. God is giving us the opportunity to avoid all of that, and it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. We must be a people of prayer. If we want to avoid, as Proverbs warns us, the things that seem right but in the end lead to death, we must be a people of prayer. So we have temptation, but we know that also part of this closing line was forgiveness. And I want to close out that time, our time together, in the same fashion that Jesus closed out his teaching on prayer with this specific prayer in mind. Shortly after he finishes praying, Jesus says in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6, For if you forgive other people when they sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So if our internal anchor, if the internal anchor to sin is shame, right? We talked about that. The easiest way for the devil to keep us in our sin is to keep us in shame. Shame works like a parasite. It keeps turning you back to the bad things. If that's our internal anchor to sin, then our interpersonal anchor to sin is unforgiveness. Shame is working inside of you. Unforgiveness is working between you and your brothers and sisters to keep you in your sin. It's very clear. Jesus says it as plain as day. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. And if you don't forgive others, then you will not be forgiven. Many years ago, a much less mature version of me was known to hold on to some pretty petty things. Thankfully, God has worked that out at me. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you just have these really petty things that you know you need to forgive, but you just, you can't let go of them for some reason. My encouragement is to pray that God would help you let go of those petty things, those small things that you don't even need to hang on to for any reason. But most likely, the reason why you are holding on to unforgiveness towards others is because you have been deeply hurt by somebody. It's almost certainly not the petty, although I've been there. It's those deep hurts that you're holding on to. And if that's you, I want you to know God loves you and empathizes with you. He is not upset about you holding on to that, but he wants you to know that it's really critical to let those things go. And it is exactly because he loves you that he wants you to extend that forgiveness where unforgiveness has ruled your life. This is another example. We talked about one last week as well of God demanding something from us for our benefit, harboring forget unforgiveness eats away at your soul. It's like a parasite chewing away at you from the inside, killing the goodness that's in you. 
And I wrestled with this because there's a lot of hurt that I know of in this room and other people who might listen to this online. I know there's a lot of hurt. God's not asking you to be buddy-buddy with those people again. He's not even asking you to contact them. Maybe that ship has sailed. Maybe that's not even possible, but he does call you to forgive them, and it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. And you might be thinking, yeah, they don't deserve forgiveness, and maybe so, but today is about you. It's not about them. God will deal with them how God sees fit, but right now he wants to deal with you. He brought you here today so that he can call you to abandon that unforgiveness. And in just a moment, we're going to pray about that. But I want to read you a passage from Romans 12. And we're going to pray and we're going to sing some songs. But I want to remind you of how God has promised to deal with that. Okay? Romans 12, 19 through 21 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's easy or that I even get it right all of the time, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and that you'd be wise to listen to what the Bible says. And the only way that I know how to get hard things right is to pray for the power to follow through on them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for those things. We're going to pray that God would give us the power to follow through on the very command of forgiving others. Right? It's really tempting to want to hold on to that. But Jesus prayed it for a specific reason, and it's for our benefit. So we're going to pray for that. So will you stand with me? In just a moment, like I said, we're going to sing a song, but I don't want to take this opportunity or miss this opportunity, rather, to give us the opportunity, the chance to pray and just let that go. Again, God's not calling you to go and be buddy-buddy with those people, to even necessarily have contact with them. He's just saying, hey, let me take care of the issue. Let you do the forgiving. Let it go. So God, we come to you and we have these things in our life that we know are harboring frustration, anger, pain against other people. And as Jesus closes out this teaching on prayer, he says, plain as day, that we need to forgive those people. So God, I pray that as you're stirring up that work in my life right now, and I know you're doing the same for others, that you would help us, that you would be the power behind this forgiveness, that we would be able to turn away from that unforgiveness, that we would kick that parasite out of our soul, that you would give us the strength as you promised to lead us out of any temptation, that we would not turn back towards that, 
that you, God, would give us the strength and the wisdom and the power to walk in forgiveness. So I'm going to give us 30 seconds to just pray for that power, to be able to forgive somebody, to let that go. And then we're going to sing to God, who is so good to us. Let's pray. God, you know how hard it can be for us to let go of some of these things that are just incredibly difficult. God, there's real pain, there's real sorrow, there's real anger there. But for our benefit, you've called us out of that. So God, I pray that we would take the opportunity and the invitation seriously today, God that we can walk with a lighter burden, that we would not be in shame, that we would not be in unforgiveness, God. Not because they deserve it, but because we need it. And you've called us to it, and we want to be obedient followers of you. Thank you for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.